0: Judges 12, verse 7 to verse 15. Hopefully you have an outline that says, God at work is an amazing man. A man who has been honored by his country for many heroic successes on the battlefield. A real national hero, a war hero. In fact, his achievements are particularly exceptional because our our war hero has a skin disease that has completely ravaged his body. He has visited many doctors at home and abroad in search of help, all paid for by his government, but with zero success. And now he's sitting there languishing. And then one day, his life changes. A little servant girl, a slave girl, he captured on one of his many foreign conquests, approaches his wife. The seven girl tells our hero, our hero's wife, that there is a man, a man in our country, some people call him a prophet. This man can heal her husband from this terrible disease. The wife hears this. She's excited but cautious. She has heard this before, only for her hopes to be dashed. But after some reflection and considering how the little girl has spoken to her, uh, courage to raise this issue, even though she's a slave, she plucks up some courage and she approaches her husband. She tells her husband, she says to him, look, there is help available. Let's, let's give this a go. And the husband reflects again like the wife and, he, uh, and he's, he's also worried and then he makes up eventually his mind And he decides to undertake one more foreign trip in search of a cure. And after a few weeks, we are told our hero finds himself knocking on the door of the prophet Elisha. But to his shock, the prophet tells him, Go and wash in the Jordan River seven times and your skin will become normal. Oh, a hero, he's been everywhere and he's never had anything like this. He's, he's in fact very angry. He says, look, I've come all this way. For this? To wash in some filthy river in this miserable country of yours? I would have done that in my own country. <coughs> what an insult. And so the hero does what he was doing. You know, he packs off his chariots and he's just ready to go. And then one of his servants comes to him and says, look, boss, we're already here. Just give it a go. I mean, what's the use? What have you got to lose? And anyway, if it doesn't work, we know what we can do to them. So Naaman, full of anger, huffing and puffing, skin diseased and all, he makes his way to the Jordan River. He goes in as Elisha the prophet has told him. And then it happens. The Bible tells us that his skin is healed. Everyone celebrates. And this amazing story eventually makes its way into the Bible. And you can read about this amazing story in 2 Kings chapter 5. You see, friends, because of one little servant girl, a slave girl in a wrong country, a man's life was completely changed transformed. Naaman was not only healed physically, he came to believe in the one true God. All starting with one sentence, from a grown girl in the wrong place. This is just one of the many amazing historical events in the Bible that demonstrates how God works through his people for his glory. And these amazing stories have been recorded for us to remind us of how powerful our God is. And also to encourage us to make our lives available. If that little girl can make her life available and can point people to the prophet, we can make our lives available to God and He can work through us in ordinary ways. We are currently in the book of Judges, isn't it? And you know, Judges is a story of God's people as they settle in the promised land. And this morning, we are continuing that journey and we're looking at how God works through His people for His glory. Look with me at Judges 12, verse 7 uh, there. And the first truth we learn in this passage from verse 7 to verse 15 is simply this. The first truth we learn is that God works through His people. God has designed to do His work through his people. In this passage, we have four different people appointed by God to lead Israel. The first leader mentioned in verse 7 is Jephthah. Let's read that. Jephthah judged Israel for six years. You remember Jephthah's story, because we've gone through it. You remember that Jephthah is like many young people today. They have grown up in a broken home. And that's how Jephthah grew up. His mother was, we are told, a prostitute. And his father's children kicked him out of the home. We might say Jephthah comes into this world with cards heavily stacked against him. Poor, broken family. That's Jephthah's story. And God raised him up. Ibazan and Abdon are complete opposite in this list. To Jephthah, they are rich and powerful look at verse 8 after Jephthah arose Ibazan of Bethlehem who judged Israel verse 9 says he had 30 sons and 30 daughters he gave in marriage outside his clan and 30 daughters he brought in from outside for his sons and he judged Israel for 7 years that's Ibazan, large family, empire building, look at now Abdon's story in verse 13 to verse 14. After him, that is after Elon the Zebulun after him, Abdon the son of Eliel the Pirathonite judged Israel. He had 40 sons and 30 grandsons who rode on 70 donkeys and he judged Israel for 8 years. These large families, they look ostentatious. And of course these men, of course, would have had more than one wife, of course. Speaking to the grace of God, allowing even that, he still work through them. They had large families. Why did they have large families? They had large families because a large family is a sign of divine blessing on them. I'm not, I'm not suggesting that I mean you work your way towards Jair and Abdon and Ibazan. Uh, um, but it shows in those days that God's favor was on them. It is showing us they were prosperous, they were powerful. They wielded power through their children and grandsons. What the Bible is telling us here, we have Jephthah here, completely poor. We have Abaz and Abdul and Jer before Jephthah, completely rich and powerful. What the Bible is telling us in these contrasts is that God works through his people of all backgrounds. Rich, poor, tall, thin, young, old. Good home, broken home. No one is excluded from God working through them. But it's also crucial we understand that God does not just love different people, He loves working through different people in different circumstances. Let's look. Remember the story of Jephthah? We have already seen how God used Jephthah's tough background. You know, Jephthah was a tough cookie, and God used him from the streets of Tob, where he lent his strength to be a powerful negotiator. We saw that as we've been going through this. He stood up against the king of the Ammonites. He stood up against the tribe of Ephraim. Only a Jephthah, with his sort of tough steel inside, so to speak, could have done that. He did something that even Gideon couldn't do. He broke the back of the Ephraimites. He crushed their pride. We saw that last Sunday evening. In this passage again, we see God using power and influence of Ibazan and Abdon to do what? Keep the nation together and the evil at bay. Friends, what we're saying here is that God does not simply work through us despite our circumstances. He delights to work through us through Our current circumstances. God works through your current circumstances. God wants to work through your current circumstances. This is the challenge we see here. And we need to be reminded of this truth because many of us are happy to accept that God works through his people. But you are not happy to accept that God wants to work through your current circumstances. You believe in God, but do you love God enough to allow him to work through today's circumstance and not keep God waiting for tomorrow's situation? Some of you here are saying to yourselves, I will surrender fully to God when school finishes. That's when I will do it. I will get baptized when my job situation becomes better and more stable. I am waiting for the right moment to talk to my neighbor about Jesus. I I can't do it just now. You know, I need the right perfect moment. Probably when the barbecue season arrives in the summer. Then I can invite her over. That's when I'll do it. You know what, Shola? I have a lot of things on my plate right now to make coming to Bible study a top priority. I'm going to do that when life gets better. When I have a little more time in the evening. At the moment, this life is difficult. You just don't understand. I know things are bad between us. But I will reconcile to her when I see her next in church. Or when I bump into her. I just can't do it now. I want to forgive her. But I can't do it now. Yes, I know I'm struggling with an addiction. And I've tried and tried. Oh, child, you just don't understand. I'm trying to repent, but I just can't do it now. I, let me just, I need to sort this out on my own for a while, and then I'm going to repent, perhaps in the next few months. Now that my son, strange hearing that, if that's coming from a Christian, but I, I, I've heard that here. From some of you. All of those different excuses, I've heard them here. You see, too many of us, uh, today, I'm not mentioning about church membership because you expect me to talk about church membership. <laughs> no, we put that off. We put that off. I'll leave you. I'll spare you, my sisters and my brothers, on that. My point I'm making is that too many of us live like this, always planning for what the world will be like tomorrow, but neglecting that God also wants to work in and through you today. There's no doubt about it. It's wise to plan, it's wise to be careful. It's wise not to overcommit. On oh, non essentials. But God wants you to surrender to him today. God is not asking, well, will you love me tomorrow? He comes to Peter and says what? Well, Peter, do you love me in the now? Many of us are always planning for what the world will be like tomorrow. But we neglect surrendering to God today. You have forgotten that your delayed disobedience or rather your delayed obedience is disobedience. Your delayed obedience is disobedience. And the result of your disobedience is that you are missing out on God's plan to use you to transform the life of someone. If you repent today, you could be the little girl who transforms the life of a Naaman around you. If you surrender your life to God today, you could be a Jephthah from your broken background who God raises up to bring people like yourself who have gone through that to His glory. And you repent today, surrender to Him. Who knows? Like a little girl, you could transform a country. I'm sure when Neymar went back, things improved. If he believed in one true God, when he went back to his country, all of a sudden he saw Israel just a little bit different. International relations were improved by single action of one little girl. Young people, you are not too young to make an impact for the kingdom of God, because your God is not young; He is eternal, powerful, unchanging. My dear friends, if we are trusting in Jesus for our salvation, we must also trust Him. With our todays. Do not keep God waiting. If you have truly surrendered, been born again, surrender, continue to surrender to him now. Allow him to use you in the here and now. With all its difficulties, surrender to him. Ask yourself plainly this question this morning, my brothers and sisters. Where am I preventing God from working through me? At home. In your homes, why are you preventing God from working through you at home? Where am I preventing God from working through me in this church? <coughs> Ask yourself: Where am I preventing God working through me at work? Where are you preventing God doing that at work? And here is a second re- is, is a reason. You need to allow God to work through you. And this is our second point. You need to allow God to work through you. Why? Because God works through us for Jesus. Look at, look, look at this passage again. This is our second point. God works through us for Jesus. We see in this passage that God has raised these leaders for one purpose only. What's the purpose? To be judges or deliverers of the people of Israel. Look at verse 7 again. Jephthah judged Israel for six years. Verse eight. After him, Ibazan of Bethram judged Israel. Verse eleven. After him, Elon the Zebulunite judged Israel. Verse thirteen. Verse thirteen tells us: After him, Abdon the son of Ithelael, the Pirathonite, judged Israel. The judges were kingdom builders. These were leaders God had appointed to keep the people of Israel focused on the kingdom of God. But notice as our brother Michael wonderfully noted. For all their good work, these judges were not the final answer. How do we know? Because of the phrase that brother Michael noted for us. The key phrase in this passage is that they died. And were buried. Look at verse 7 again. Then Jephthah the Gileadite died and was buried in his city. Verse 10 Ibazan died and was buried at Bethlehem. Verse, verse 12 Elon the Zebulonite died and was buried at Ashelon. Verse 15 Abdon the son of Elelelah the Pirathonite died and was buried at Pirathon. In the land of Ephraim. Why did they die? They died, of course, were human beings, but why did God choose to work through people who only end up dying? Why? He did that because these judges were human trailers to the divine movie. They lived to advertise the coming of Jesus 1,200 years later. They were not living for themselves, their lives were pointing to Jesus. And Jesus has now come as God's final judge to bring in the kingdom of God into its fullness. Isn't this the message of Jesus? We're going to read about this message when we begin Mark in June. Look at Mark chapter 1 verse 14 to 15. It says this about Jesus. We need to become familiar. I encourage you to start reading Mark now and get acquainted with its message because we'll be looking at that from June. Mark chapter 1 verse 14 to 15 says this. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, this time, the Kairos moment, the time is fulfilled. And the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That's the message of our Lord. He was actually in the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God was fully realized through the death of Jesus on the cross for your sins. And if you are trusting in Jesus this morning, brothers and sisters, you are now part of the kingdom of God. You belong to God Forever. You are now a kingdom builder. And just as God worked in the lives of these judges to point to Jesus, all who trust in Jesus now live to do what? To promote, to advertise the Lord Jesus. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, which you should awfully know by heart because we're going through 1 Peter, says this, chapter 2, verse 9, By you are a chosen race. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Why? Why? Why has God done this? That you may proclaim the excellences of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Are you trusting Jesus this morning? Your life is meant to be a living billboard of the glory of Jesus. It is meant to advertise Him, not you. Listen, friends, no matter what you are pursuing in your life, if your life is not shaped by the desire to promote and display Jesus, then it is being wasted. Completely wasted. If you are a true follower of Jesus, you must judge everything in your life on a simple question. Is it promoting the glory of Jesus? If it's not, cut it off. Maybe you're dating someone. Maybe you are in a dating relationship. Is that relationship being conducted in a way that promotes Jesus? My young people, young dads, you guys in relationship, are you conducting your relationship in the way that promotes the glory of Jesus? Well, if it's not, friends if you're trusting in Jesus, repent now. Cut it off. How is your bank statement? How is it? I was looking at my bank statement, so I, I thought about this, I was all preparing my sermon, my bank statement had arrived. How is your bank statement? When Jesus looks at it, when Jesus looks, he does. Did you know that? The Lord looks at your bank statement. Of course he does. So when Jesus looks at your bank statement, what does he make of it? Who would he say when he looks at it that this bank statement is promoting my agenda? Or would he say he's promoting yours? Can Jesus immediately pick out his kingdom priorities just by looking at your bank statement? Are you promoting Jesus with your time? How much of your time is taken up by allowing God to use you to advance Jesus' agenda? How do you act towards your members of your family? I don't mean your wife. That is easy. (laughs) It's easy for me to love Eunice. very easy. (laughs) What I mean is, how do you act towards your in-laws, other distant relatives? Is your relationship towards your in-law promoting Jesus would Jesus take a look at your relationship with these with relatives, your in-laws, your other members of your family, and be able to work out, yes, you are conducting this relationship to promote my glory. Or oh, would Jesus immediately conclude that you are just living for yourself? There is bitterness, refusal to repent, many other areas. Why? Because you're not living to promote the agenda of Christ. You're living to promote yourself. If you are truly converted God has served you to work through you for the promotion of Jesus. And he has not left you to do this by his own device. He has already recreated you. You are born again. You have a new nature a new impulse to live for him. And he has filled you with his Holy Spirit. I tell Wally that I, of, I think of the Holy Spirit as you know, a supernatural Duracell at work in our lives, moving us to the glory of Christ, pushing us every day to live for Jesus. You have help at hand. So come this morning. Ask God to help you identify areas where you're refusing to allow him to work through you. And repent right away. Friends, repent right away. Surrender to Him in these areas. Do not leave issues undone. Membership, commit yourself. Baptism, do it now. Surrender to Him. Sin, confess it, move forward. Do not delay surrendering to God because your time on earth is short. Life is fragile. One of the privileges I've had this, for me, this past week, has been to spend time in the hospital. I drove to the hospital Monday and I drove to the hospital yesterday with Brother Nick. I drove to the hospital on Thursday. And Brother Nick, when we were discussing yesterday in the car, I was mentioning what a privilege it is to be in a hospital, isn't it? And the very fact that being in the hospital reminds you that life is fragile. It reminds you to come and cry out to God. Because you see in the hospital, people on their death, the people about to die. You see, in the hospital, the people that are not being visited by anyone. You realize there must be more. And there is because Christ is the only answer to their condition. Friends, life is fragile. I haven't got long left here, even in this church. I don't have long. I could die tomorrow. No one knows how long we have. friends, we have wasted enough of our lives in sin before we met Jesus. Why would we waste it now, now that we know that there's only one we've been seeking for in our life? Is this man Jesus? And we've found him. He's found us. So why would we waste any more time? No, there is no time to waste. We must promote him, Jesus. Let us take to heart the words of Samuel Rutherford. He says to us, do not build your nest upon any tree in this world. Why? Because God has sowed the forest to death. And every tree you rest your head on is ready to be cut down. So flee to God our rock and rest only in the crests of God our rock. Are you a true follower of Jesus this morning? Don't hold too tightly to your life in this world. Hold lightly. Hold tight to Jesus. Surrender your life to God and let him work in and through you to promote the Lord Jesus. Sadly, I've been a pastor for 16 months enough to know already that some of you have no desire to promote Jesus. All that I've been saying to some of you sometimes, the British say, gobbledygook. Is that that's the word, right? Gobbledygook. It sounds like, what is gobbledygook, brother? It's strange stuff, isn't it? It's so, Meaningless words. They sound like meaningless words. That's how it sounds to you, isn't it? And it should sound like that to you. How can you advertise someone you do not know? How can you have a desire to advertise someone you do not love? How can you advertise Jesus when your heart does not sing for him? When the mention of his name does not make your heart skip? When the thought of all what is done on Calvary does not drive you to tears? What you need is to take a look at these judges and see the love of God for sinners. Look at Jephthah with a criminal past. Look at Elon there. We just skipped him. He's been skipped over all his life. And you're probably wondering, the past has done the same. Look at verse 11. After him, Elon the Zebulunite judged Israel. And he judged Israel for 10 years. Then Elon the Zebulunite died and was buried at Israel in the land of Zebulun. Look at this obscure man. And nobody like many of us. Many of us will never leave an impact in this world. Because God sometimes has just designed it like that. One line. And yet look how God has used him. Look at Abdon from the. Did you notice something about Abdon? It's from the tribe of Ephraim. And if you are here Sunday evening, you know there are issues at Ephraim. God wipes out 42,000. Ephraim, and we think they are done, they are gone. And here we see God raising up a judge from Ephraim. Friends, this is the grace of God in Christ. This is the God of the Bible. He reaches out to people who hate him. He transforms our hearts and works through us for his glory. And this is what God is offering you through Jesus this morning. God is reaching out to you with those nailed down on the cross. And he's saying to you, Come. Come to me today. Stop resisting my love for you. Come to me and deserve from eternal punishment. Acknowledge your sin this morning. Repent of your sin. Plead the forgiveness of God. And this very moment, God will fill you with his spirit and begin his work in and through you for all eternity. Amen.